With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Just a quick word before we get into today's show. Uh, Drug usage is a subject matter that is discussed openly in today's show. So not the normal family-friendly content that we have here on Surf Splendor, uh, but that is your fair warning. All right, enjoy. What? How, so how long have you been addicted to crystal meth now? I think every day you started around 2002, 2003, I, I can honestly say. 2002, 2003, every day you started until I got in trouble. Tell us about when you started uh, dealing. I started dealing because I lost... I stopped getting money from surfing and I love surfing and I know these are when I say these things there's no justification I'm just telling you why and that's audio from the opening scene of a recent documentary film called Learning to Breathe That scene is followed by text that reads, This film is dedicated to all those who have walked on the dark side. May we all find our way home. And then it's dedicated to the filmmaker's son. The filmmaker, Rocky Romano, is the subject of today's episode of Surf Splendor. Learning to Breathe is actually Rocky's first film. And it covers, obviously, a really heady and, um, I don't know, emotionally-fueled topic of drug usage and kind of profiles one main character, Santa Cruz surfer Anthony Rufo, and his trials and tribulations with um, addiction and recovery and some of the legal fallout associated with those things and um, really makes for a compelling film and a compelling character. And so Rocky and I discuss uh, Learning to Breathe in this episode, but we also kind of get into just filmmaking at large and the challenges of being a first-time filmmaker, trying to figure out a revenue model for this sort of a thing in the surf world, and um, go on to explore a lot of the new work that he's doing after the success of this film. And um, he's got a production company called The Go Big Project. You can follow them at thegobigproject.com. They cover a lot of big wave surfing and um, are doing some really, really interesting and beautiful work and have really, I mean, defined themselves as storytellers and developed a keen knack for for getting access into these really kind of intimate and personal moments 
in these um, fascinating characters' lives. So I'm excited to have had the opportunity to sit with Rocky and get some of the backstory for learning to breathe and get insight into this new stuff that he has coming out before we actually get the opportunity to see it. Here's Rocky telling me about his own personal backstory and interest in surfing. By the way, my name is David Scales. This is Surf Splendor. Forgot to mention that. And then uh, I'll be back at the end of the episode to sign us off. Enjoy. Well, I grew up in Southern California, and I grew up surfing pretty much just like every kid, swimming, then got into water polo, played water polo my whole life uh, through school, uh, surfed all the way till I was probably 17, pretty much every day, I would say, and then went to school up in Northern California, okay. and moved to the mountains, and then became a snowboarder. And then <laughs> pretty much uh, surfing became uh, uh, far and few between after I moved to the mountains for, you know, quite some time. But I fell in love with snowboarding and powder and okay. kind of stole my love for a while. What What's your background in filmmaking then? Um, <clears throat> nothing. Okay. Life, Just, life in general. Yeah. You know, um, I'd say uh, life experience and having, you know, experienced incredible, amazing things kind of led me into uh, filmmaking. I... I went, went after I finished school. Um, I went into construction management, and I was rebuilding inner city housing in Oakland oh, okay. as a construction project manager. And I did that till I was probably twenty six, going on ninety nine. Um, <laughs> and I decided to, <clears throat> you know, make a, a major change in my life. So I picked up everything I owned and took my money and went up to Lake Tahoe, California, and moved to Donner Summit. And got a cabin in uh, Ski Town, they call it. It's on the very top of Donner Summit, where the Donner Party ate each other. And you have to ski 250 yards into your cabin. Oh, wow. Uh, so when the snow gets high, you got to climb the wall and then ski in. And it was pretty cool. And But I didn't know anything about skiing and snowboarding, and I didn't know really what I was going to do. But I got adopted by a <clears throat> hardcore crew of locals that loved the idea that I you know, cut my suit and tie, threw it to the side... And they taught me to snowboard. I hiked up and learned to snowboard that winter before the ski resorts opened and learned to ride powder. And with my surfing background, I was pretty proficient pretty quickly and actually became a snowboard instructor the day they opened the resort. Wow. So shows a lot about how much experience you need to be a snowboard instructor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I did that for, you know, that winter, <clears throat> loved it, uh, fell in love with the snowboarding community and snowboarding in general. And in the summertime, I said, what do you guys do? And they're like, oh, well, we're raft guides for the Narius Rafting Company in California. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And so I became a whitewater raft guide. And for the next 15 years, I was um, in, 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 I was a backcountry snowboarder, I was in movies, um, became a coach, coached border cross, Olympic level border cross, uh, was a raft guide, became a classified raft guide, then owned my own rafting company and guided all over the world and was making movies for my custies, my customers out of the back of our, our vehicle and selling them to them. And then that's when I kind of fell in love with the whole movie making process okay. when we made those movies for the customers. And uh, somewhere along the line, I decided, hey, this is what I want to do. And I bought a camera and started the Go Big Project. And that Good. was 
eight years ago. Okay. Yeah, because I was raised kind of on surf film, and I love the medium, you know, but I feel like there's such a, I don't know, it's been underdeveloped in a sense in terms of storytelling. There's so many fascinating characters in surfing, and we get to see them surf all the time, but how much do you really know about Joel Parkinson, you know, or who whoever it might be? And um, Rufo is arguably one of the more fascinating characters, certainly one of the more colorful characters. And uh, so I was glad to see this being done. Um, what was your connection to Rufo and how, why did you choose that story to tell, I guess? Um, well, you know, you, you touched on something there about <clears throat> surf movies. And I grew up watching surf movies. And, you know, obviously Endless Summer was, you know, a huge influence on my life on on, on being storytelling mm-hmm. and action sports okay and then for me it became Warren Miller and the storytelling of Warren Miller and so for for me I started making you know those action sports films up in the mountains we were making ski and snowboard films and it was mostly you know ski and snow porn and then we really wanted to start telling more stories that's the thing and that's where we came down yeah. and and um we decided I remember always remember there was <clears throat> I think it was 2010 it was like the El Nino and we were up in Tahoe and this huge storm was coming in and there was massive waves predicted for Mavericks and I was like we're all up in Tahoe and, and yeah. I was like oh man we should go film these big waves I really think we should go film these big waves like fuck skiing and snowboarding man this shit's cool but like people can't relate to it people can relate to you know guys getting eaten by a tidal wave okay so I was like let's go film it nobody wanted to go film it we all wanted to ski powder snowboard powder ride powder and so we missed it and then that was that El Nino year that Sean Dollar rode that world record wave, and I just was like, man, we freaking blew it. And I was like, that's it. And so we went down to Santa Cruz, and we went down to go start filming surfing, and we ended up filming a program called Ride a Wave, where they take out special needs children surfing, and all the big wave surfers in the Santa Cruz community and and, uh, San Francisco community come down, and they take out special needs children surfing. And we made a film called Ride a Wave, which we entered into the Santa Cruz Film Festival. It won the Santa Cruz Film Festival and played with a film called Westsiders. Oh, yeah. And when we saw Westsiders, it really showed a, a, a core film that showed the story of these guys. And, and it was made by Josh Palmer and right away played before it every time it played. Uh, and it was really great to see a film like that that, you know, kind of was more challenging and asked some more tough questions. And, and seeing that, I, I thought, man, it might be interesting to ask even, you know, a deeper question about the whole thing. And it just so happens that when we were down there, Anthony got busted for like the third time and I saw it in the paper and I was like, shit, I should tell that story. But, you know, part of me was like, you know, I I don't know if I want to tell that story. But, you know, once I I really thought about it and I was living with the, I was staying with the the head of the Santa Cruz Film Festival at the time and I was talking with her about it. And I was like, man, if I really want to be the the storyteller that I want to be, I'm going to have to tell the hard stories, not just, you know, the night, you know, the nice, beautiful stories. And so I reached out to Anthony and, you know, convinced him that, you know, hey, it's probably a good idea to tell this story. And, you know, at first he said, I don't know, I'm going through a lot of stuff. And I said, well, that's probably why we should be telling it. And the next day he hit me up. He said, yeah, I want you to tell the story. So that's how it all started. For listeners who haven't actually seen the film yet, where did it all start? What process was Anthony at in this, you know? Um, Anthony had just been busted. Um, for the third time, I, th- I think, yeah, I think it was the third time and he was still going through addiction, uh, at this point, um, and awaiting trial. 
And so I went over and began the interview process, uh, which was definitely, um, was not easy, you know, to walk over to 1414 Laurel Street and, you know, deal with, you know, the, the whole West Side uh, uh, group of, of, of guys that surfed, you know, with Rufo. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely intimidating. Um, but after, you know, meeting Anthony, he's a very charismatic guy. Totally. And it was, you know, it, it actually became a very easy process to, you know, bond with him and start telling the story, um, although challenging in, in many different ways. And then from there, I pretty much filmed him uh, for about two years, all the way through rehab, through the trials, jail, everything. So, Were you friends with him prior to approaching him? No, I was uh, straight up tranny, as okay. uh, Rufo would put it, a transplant. Totally. Uh, from, you know, I was a, a snowboarder from the mountains, so... Uh, who was I to tell the story of Anthony Rufo? Well, it's it's um, interesting that he would give you that much access, you know, or then even that the community and the crew would participate to that degree that they did. Yeah, I I think there was a combination of a lot of things. I think um, <clears throat> I'm a pretty straightforward guy, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not a real sort of Hollywood director. Um, I come from action sports. I feel that a lot of those guys were ready to tell their story. Okay. And to try to make a difference, you know, in what in what was happening in Santa Cruz and what is still happening in Santa Cruz. And so I think uh, it became the movie became a vehicle for a lot of people to, you know, to say some things that they were that they'd wanted to say for a long time. Timing is key. I think you're right. It's kind of at the point where a lot of people have wanted to tell their story. Um, can you tell me about the process of shooting the film? You said it, you spent two years there. Did you live there? consecutively the entire time what yeah, were you doing was, for work along the way all that sort of stuff yeah that is uh that's a great question um so when i went down to santa cruz you know to when i started it i was like okay the trial's about to happen and i and and elizabeth gunray who's the president of the santa cruz film festival is like an amazing human being okay. and she should be credited with a ton of, of of this film even being accomplished and she allowed me to stay in her in her um, in her spare bedroom uh, for the majority of making the film, I, I still lived up in Lake Tahoe, okay. but I was just committed, you know, to making this story. I, you know, I have a, an 11 year old son who is on the ski team at Squaw Valley, and okay. you know, I, you know, and I, I wanted to tell this story because I feel that, you know, that it's it's as action sports community and me as an action sports filmmaker, I wanted to be the one to tell this story. I wanted it to come from action sports people, like. I wanted us to address our own problem and be the ones that shared instead of having to be exposed from the outside. And so, and I also wanted kids to be able to see a real example of what can happen. I didn't want to make a, here's your brain on drugs and have all the kids laugh at it while they hit the bomb. You know, I wanted exactly. to make like, hey, this is real shit. This is what happens if you go this route. You know what I mean? And this is the real deal of what can happen. So that was basic, you know, the premise for wanting to make it. And so I feel that a lot of people, you know, because of that were very, you know, helpful and, you know, very uh, instrumental in, in, in accomplishing making the film. And one of those was Elizabeth Gumray. So I was staying with her making the film. Um, I had no, I abandoned all other, you know, uh, projects that we had with the production company for the two years. I paid for the entire process uh, with no sponsor support. We had sponsors in the beginning, but once they, 
pretty much, you know, took a hard look at what was going on and what the film was going to be about. They all just ran for the hills. Were they surf industry sponsors? Or? Um, yeah, yeah, they okay. were surf industry sponsors. Um, and I, I can't blame them. No, you know what I mean. It's, but that's a topic of conversation for me because we see like the hard hitting stories that are actually the most compelling generally don't get told. You know, because it's such a bro industry, nobody really wants to shine a light on their bros going through hard times. And I think that that's been detrimental to um, the forward progress of a lot of things. You know, I mean, we talked on the phone a little bit. Andy Irons' death is the biggest story that nobody really ever has told, you know. Um, So I'm glad to see this project, you know, and, and people actually taking a stand and not really needing validation from the surf industry to move forward with things like this? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it was definitely a, uh, a lesson in perseverance. I mean, okay. if, if it, you know, there was nobody really stoked to try to help out to get this movie made. You know, it was pretty uh-huh. much, you know, myself and college interns, you know, and, and, and people that believe that were passionate about the project. Everyone from, you know, there was a, a huge amount of, of help from the community of Santa Cruz from literally from the attorneys uh, to, um, gosh, I don't want to leave anybody out. I mean, there was community members. There were other nonprofit organizations that helped out. Uh, Lightfoot um, helped out with, you know, food. There was, a, there was a million people that came together in the community of Santa Cruz to not only try to help with repairing the community, but also helping, you know, to try to get this film made. Um, but when we, it did take two years of abandoning pretty much my entire life to make this film, like going and living in rehab, um, you know, living in someone's spare bedroom. And then at one point, uh, we got a warning that <laughs> we, we were informed by two separate people that the, the feds and the DA were coming after, uh, or the DA and the feds were coming after to seize the hard drives because of evidence of crimes committed. And so, and given like a warning to basically leave where we were. And so wow. I moved from the, uh, <laughs> from, from, from the house that I was staying at and I moved to an undisclosed location where I, I lived in an abandoned warehouse. I mean, not a, a warehouse, an abandoned office uh, for about a month and a half with my dog and a dog bed and, uh, and the computers and hard drives and a bunch of cue cards all over the walls. It was, uh, it was insane. pretty insane. Um, Did you have the footage they were talking about or was it just people confessing to things? Uh, or You know, I think that they were just probably hoping for a little more than what was there. But okay. I didn't want to risk like yeah. I don't have enough money to like make enough copies of my hard drives, Yeah, you know, to, <laughs> to, to hide them appropriately. And so at that point, you know, when you're an independent filmmaker, um, you know, you, you don't have enough money, you know, yeah. basically even for hard drives. So making copies and triple copies. You know, the time involved with that was just terrifying. So I just erred on the side of of safety, basically, totally. at that point, you know. What did you shoot the film on? Um, that's a pretty funny story, too. I, I had only used uh, video cameras before because DSLRs hadn't come out, or they had just come out. And so I got a, a 7D, and, um, <laughs> and basically I just turned all the dials until the shot looked right, and then just went from there. Um, and so, uh, the poor editor, uh, she had to do a lot of just listening to clicking before okay. you know, <laughs> yeah, cutting. Yeah. So it was definitely, uh, not the masterpiece of technical display that I would be hoping for at this point now that yeah. we've reached in our careers. Right. Uh, but for me, it was more about the story. I did it on like a 2009 laptop and a Canon 7D 
uh, and pretty much shot the whole thing on that by myself. Uh, and then with the help with a couple of, of interns that helped with the project as well. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it looks good though. Like thank the final you. product looks good. It doesn't look like <laughs> yeah. you're winging it. You know? yeah, well, thank you. All yeah. Right. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, talking about people's involvement and in helping the project get made, um, how responsive? You got a lot of interviews with a lot of kind of key figures and professional surfers. Mm-hmm. How was their response? Um, ultimately, they signed consent in the end but how was the process of getting them involved i mean skin dog pete mel guys like that um everyone was really i mean just really great about being involved and in, in doing the interviews in fact there was 68 interviews altogether. were there really yeah there might wow. be i mean there was a thousand hours of footage i mean there was 68 hour long interviews or not longer i mean i did one four and a half hour interview with anthony um, and there's everyone from Pete Townend to uh, Michael Ho. I mean, there's guys that hit the cutting room floor that are legends in the sport hmm. uh, just because it would have been a you know three-hour saga, which yeah. it was at one point. Um, and so everyone was very, you know, was awesome about being forthright and, you know, being honest to the camera and, you know, basically telling their stories so, and their opinions, which was, I thought, turned out to be pretty darn genuine. Good. Good. Um, how's the response been since the film's been released? Has anybody... Um, like, like for example, one thing that I noticed immediately was like Pete Mel, as an example, has moved into a kind of powerful position in his career working with the WSL. And I was just curious how they would feel about him being involved discussing such a you know raw subject matter and his involvement in the past with it and that sort of thing. Well... 
I would think they would be anything but, you know, proud of Pete and his honesty and, and you know, wanting to make a, a like his example of where what he's achieved now is, you know, the best example you could show to someone. Um, and his honesty is is so important in a world of, you know, of things being washed underneath the carpet mm-hmm. that I don't understand why they wouldn't be anything but proud and honored of Pete and what he's accomplished and him as the commissioner. So maybe they are. I don't know. I haven't heard anything at all. But what have you received any feedback from? Or what's the feedback been? Is kind of the you know. I, I, to be honest, I mean, the film went on the film festival tour and won a bunch of film festivals. Won almost every film festival went to. But besides that, it just it didn't get distributed very much because of it actually because it was just so gnarly i mean they would see it and then there was just too much for them to air yeah so it didn't get the distribution our goal was we just wanted it to be seen you know we all i did was lose money making it but that wasn't my goal was to make money my goal was to try to get a message out right and so we wanted that message to get out to as many people as possible you know unfortunately it just didn't have the traction with the mainstream you know to really get that push that we were hoping for um but then, you know, with the release, uh, with the Beach Grit release, you know, we got over 7,000 views. And yeah. so then, you know, there's lots of comments coming in. And that's pretty much the only feedback that, you know, I've been able to see. Is the comment section? Yeah, is the comment section. And, and it went everything from, you know, and I, I thought it, you know, it played all sides of, of people's, uh, you know, I try not to obviously place too much, uh, I don't know, anything in the trolls. But, you know, I felt that there was... It definitely sparked conversation and made people address the subject. And that was the point of the entire film. Absolutely. So I think, you know, in what we were trying to achieve, we did so. And, you know, everyone's going to have their opinion. And that's what I want people to do is have an opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, have an opinion about this. You know, say something. Do something. You know, better yet, do something. Do something in community about what you believe. You know what I mean? Let this film be a spark for you. Absolutely. Um. There's a couple of topics there that we should kind of pick apart. One of them is just distribution. Um, obviously, your Go Big project has expanded far beyond just the surfing community. You have other projects in the surf community, which we'll talk about. But I feel like um, the surf porn thing that you talked about earlier has such – I think that's really kind of run its cycle. It's almost – I'm a huge fan of watching surfing. And like I said, I grew up in love with it, but I'm at the point now where there's just so much white noise out there. Everybody's putting out surf edits from their friends, catching a couple waves down at the pier this morning, shooting it on, you know, whatever, and then editing it and getting it up in the afternoon to like really high quality productions like Craig Anderson's latest film. But that even that goes out for free and there's no real monetary, um, there's no revenue model attached to it. But a lot of it's used as kind of a marketing vehicle for a brand, and that's the return on the investment for them. Um, what does that look like for you, and what are the challenges as the filmmaker? You know, going out knowing that you're probably not going to make any money creating this stuff. Is that a good thing? Does that really kind of create a lot of or allow for a lot of creative expression where it's like, hey, I don't have to worry about any political red tape because I could do whatever I want or does it inhibit you because there's no financial reward involved what's your view on it and no that's that's uh that's the $64,000 question right there I mean uh you know I can only explain the path that we took sure um and you know it's 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 a very difficult path to make it doing what you love like to, to really 
pursue your dream and be able to make it enough to, to survive pursuing your dream is a very difficult thing. That's why it takes courage, you know what I mean, to be able to go out there and try to accomplish it. And that's the first thing you need is courage, you know, to be able to go out there and put your ass on the line, put your money on the line, basically pay to work. I mean, that's what we did mm -hmm. for the first six years, seven years as we paid to work, you know, and slowly well, starting to figure out, you know, and we started, you know, the starving artists making those documentaries, paying to work when we didn't, because of the nature of the things we did, uh, we didn't really come in doing the surf porn. So we didn't really come in to surfing world with sponsors and going that whole sponsor route. We made ride wave. Then we made learning to breathe. I mean, two very different, interesting films that aren't really sponsor sort of specific, you know? Um, and so then from there, you know, we started making big wave surfing content and really just paid to start making it. We created the brand Maverick Moments. We started, you know, really focusing on Mavericks and then other big wave surfing spots. We started creating web series and we started telling the stories of the individuals that ride those waves and really right. started thinking about how are we going to, you know, and we had moved down. We started doing that. We finished the learning to breathe. We moved down to Los Angeles to, you know, kind of move into a bigger, you know, fishbowl. And we wanted to promote the film and kind of see where we could take our company and our production company and really saw, you know, television as where the avenue that if we wanted to make money and tell our stories and have them heard by a, a, a much bigger audience, yeah. that we needed to achieve that level. So we put our heads down. We said, okay, let's take our web series Maverick Moments and let's create, you know, TV. Let's create real TV shows, 13 minutes. Let's, I mean, 30 minute shows, 13 episodes. And we didn't just go for one. We actually decided to create three 13 episode, 30 minute TV shows. We shot it all in 4K and really focused on storytelling, you know, going back to, you know, things like the shows we love, like Anthony Bourdain and, yeah. you know, and Warren Miller and the throwbacks and the summer, thinking about the real stories and really focused on the men and women that try to, you know, to, that try to ride these, these ways and their struggles and, you know, their relationships and the travel and, and the sacrifices they make in order to achieve, you know, this goal. And by focusing on telling those stories and then complementing it with, you know, stunning visuals yeah we've been able now to reach and entice the mom in oklahoma as, as well as the grom in you know venice beach mm -hmm. as as far as these stories and so we were able to have those recognized by distributors and then sold two channels and then picked up and now they'll be airing in 100 million homes this year and then we got picked up and commissioned for 50 hours of television this year uh, all shot in 4k ultra hd 50p uh, for one of the world's first 4K channels. So we were able to parlay our passion and then our storytelling coupled with these stunning visuals in order to bring that to a mainstream audience, have that recognized by mainstream audience buyers and channels, and then that's how we were able to finally go from paying to work to now being paid to work. It's an incredible story. I mean, in a sh relatively short period of time. Obviously, you, Three years. you laid a lot of groundwork to get there, but... I think we've seen in a lot of different ways that the surf industry doesn't really pay, but the broad market is enamored by surfing mm -hmm. and kind of endeared to it. So if you can do something really core that is sincere, the mainstream recognizes that and then wants a piece of it, you know? And, and it's also timing, like we talked about before, like finally there are, you know, the, the, the baby boomers aren't making the decisions. The the people that grew up with the X Games are making the decisions, right. you know. And so now 
we're the buyers, we're the homeowners, we're the ones, you know, that are that that are actually grew up watching, you know, the X games mm-hmm. and love these stories from our heart. And so if you could attach intelligent stories to it, I mean, we would love watching this as much as you know, any other sort of ball sport out there. Prefer so, it. Yeah. But yeah, prefer it. But nobody's really, I think you're, what I've appreciated about the work that you guys have done is that it is based in story and yep. it's based in character, you know, because um, the WSL has done a lot of good with transitioning from the ASP. And I think one of the, their biggest strength has been that kind of, excavating the stories involved with these incredible athletes that they have and the stories of the locations and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's been one of their biggest strengths. And so um, I think that with the big wave world specifically, which is what you guys have kind of attached yourselves to, that's one thing that competitively is very difficult to translate to the viewer because it's hard to sit all day. The waves don't come in that frequently oftentimes. Except at Piahi, we've seen that it's actually pretty consistent. But with like some of the Mavericks events in the past, they sit there all day and there's really only maybe eight good rides that take place over the course of eight hours. And that's asking a lot of the viewer to sit there and watch the competition. But if you can film it all day and then package it in post-production and put it out there, it makes for a compelling 30-minute piece, you know. And so... Carry on. It looks oh, like you got oh, something to say. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that, I mean, one of the big reasons that we've really focused on big wave surfing is because we're huge big wave surfing fans. Right. You know, we just love big wave surfing. And my entire team is, you know, they all love big wave surfing. Um, and and one of our goals has been trying to bring that experience to fans and mainstream and to do it in the best way possible. And so we've seen a lot of different ways of trying to do it. Um, we came up with a concept called Live from the Channel okay. that Eric Akaskalian from uh, Toesurfer.com and I sort of brewed up last year, I believe, we started it. And it's basically a Facebook page and we were we were delivering live, almost live reports, you know, from the channel, like having cell phone interviews with Tazzy, you know, in the channel, we were getting photos up faster than anybody could um, and really dedicating to trying to report on these these swells around the world. Um, we took that concept and kept thinking about it, and we worked with Garrett McNamara on one of our on a couple of our episodes uh, for the Big Way Surfing Show, and together we launched a project called Red Chargers mm-hmm. this season uh, that takes place in Nazareth, Portugal this season. Uh, with Mercedes Benz AMG is the is the title sponsor, uh, along with a couple a lot of other great sponsors. You can check it all at RedChargers.com. And what we came up with is a concept of going filming a live webcast during the biggest swell and then packaging that to you know for an hour show later, but to actually just film without a competition, broadcast live, you know, the best part of the swells. And really that concept, if we can take that concept around the world and forego heats, invites, politics, and broadcast live at the biggest naughty swells around the world. What would be better for fans? I mean, and then just take, you know, come create awards for like, you know, the best, you know, athletic feats at the, at the end of the year. But, but forget heats, forget everything. Just let the naughtiest guys go. Let the waves decide, you know, and then, you know, let, let what they do be the marker for, you know, who, do, who, is, the, who is the winner. That's awesome. Know? And let the surfers decide, let the fans decide. Um, you know, it's, it's still a, a, a concept in development. But our, our goal is to, is to make big wave surfing, 
to bring the fans what the what the core heart of what big wave surfing is. Right. And that's not that little sitting around waiting, which is very much part of big wave surfing. Right. But you know, if you can broadcast the peak part of it, you know, where it's really going down, and then just you can still air and fans could tune off if they wanted to. Yeah. Where people could watch through all the lulls. Um, but I think that would be what the fan would really want to see. I couldn't agree with you more, and it's something that hasn't really been excavated yet. And I think big wave surfing has the most potential for growth in terms of board design, in terms of production value. And um, it's all been yet to be really, you know, it, I think you're on the right track. It's been yet yet to be fully, I don't know, capitalized on. You were, before we sat down, you were talking about this last kind of run of El Nino swells and you had cameras around the world. Can you explain where you were, what you were doing and where it'll end up? Yeah, we... Um, as, I, as I touched on briefly, we've been contracted to uh, create 50 hours of Ultra HD 50p television for one of the world's first UHD 50p channels. And when I say UHD 50p, I'm sure a lot of people are scratching their head. And, and let me explain if I can. Um, UHD is, you know, anything 4K and above. It's It's basically a terminology. There's a lot of 4K has a lot of different numbers that can almost be 4K. Well, they just create a terminology called ultra high definition. So that's what they're going to, everyone's going to be calling it UHD in the future sooner they do now. Then 50P, normally what we see is we see 2398 as a time base for what we film. So most every frames time, per second. Yeah, frames per second. Yeah. So when, you, when you're watching, it's like a flip book. So if someone's flipping a flip book at you, 2398 is what you're seeing, okay? So whatever gaps you might see per second, whatever it is, if you take that and you fill it into 50 frames and you're flipping that at you at all times, you're gonna see less motion blur. It's gonna be a clearer picture. Um, it's actually an incredible difference. It's, it's, sort, it's the sort of uh, um, technical aspects that they filmed The Hobbit in. So we're filming now in only the, the highest end cameras in the high frame rate uh, that should give it that does give a spectacular uh, image for the viewer that'll blow away even 4K that right. people have seen. So it'll really show you what your 4K TV can do and and give you an experience of waves that'll just blow your mind. So we've been filming now. Uh, we've I think we've finished now four episodes. Uh, we're about to head off for five. But we've been to Peahi for the last three big swells. Uh, one episode was with Brad Donkey uh, and him getting towed into Peahi for the first time. Uh, that was amazing. Can't wait for the for the viewers yeah. to see that. And then uh, and that was uh, uh, Brad Donkey and Francisco Porcella. That was their episode. And then uh, next episode was with Trevor Sven Carlson uh, and his riding Peahi, and then heading to Todos Santos for the WSL competition. And then we pick up Will Scudin in Toto Santos. And now we're heading with him to Peahi, Mavericks, possibly Tahoe from, for some snowboarding, and then all the way over to Ireland, potentially. So Okay, wow. So that series that you're filming, what's the name of it? Or does it have a name yet? Um, where, yeah, where will it we'll, there'll be a lot more. You can follow along on the Go Big Project okay. Facebook, and you can learn a lot more about you know all the shows and when they're going to be, you know wh- where they're going to be airing and how you can follow them and all that kind of stuff. So one of the models that you explained, um, the live from the channel concept, is kind of like, to the minute, get stuff up on the internet as fast as possible. It sounds like with this thing, obviously, there's a little bit more production, post-production involved, and it takes time to get to the viewers. 
some of that footage that you're shooting is also being shot by other people who are putting it on the internet the same day. Does that create a challenge for you or a concern um, for not, you? Not really. We actually roll with extra cameras specifically for uh, social media. Oh, okay. So pretty much as fast, if not faster, than any other entity out there in big okay. white surfing. So we work with uh, Shannon Marie Quirk, Shannon Reporting, um, to work with social media uh, along with Eric Akaskillian and Toe Surfer. And they run our social media at every swell. Shannon will be up on the cliff with the team. She has a camera, additional camera as well. She'll be uploading, posting with Instagram. Our stuff is shared throughout, you know, the surfing community with Surfine, Inertia, Magic Seaweed, all those kind of entities. So, Are you we, posting the exact same waves that are going to end up? We, we do. Okay, Basi- cool. Basically, the, you know, it's, it's in the, in the, in the old days, you would never, never, never show your weight. Right. Right. No, keep them on never, ice, man. Never, never happen. But now it's really, you know, fighting, you know, this, the, the current. You know, if you don't, you know, they're going to become iconic waves. And we're telling the stories of them. So if we were just making surf porn, then it, maybe it would be super rough, you know. But and, and even then, you know, it's, it's like every wave now you're going to see. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just going to be. You know, when you see it fast and quick on the internet, a lot of times you're seeing really degraded quality, totally. you know, and so you're, you're not going to see it in full blown glory of 4K, you know, boom, you know, and when you see it, you're still going to be blown away when you see the real wave and as yeah. it really was really filmed, you know, as opposed to, you know, the Facebook integration compression, you know, that degrades it all. Yeah. So, so I think the impact's still there once the viewer sees it on the big screen or on the TV. And when you're telling the stories behind it, it, it's almost good to have that way become iconic. I agree. Because everybody wants to see the story of it. So that's why we turn our stuff into XXL Awards and and let it be seen on the internet, you know, for that, you know, that at least for those like certain ways, you know. But exactly. we still have plenty in the quiver. <laughs> plenty in the quiver. Yeah, your value isn't the wave that's written. It's the story behind the wave that's written. Oh, the definitely. person that's writing it. Definitely. Um, clue me in on a couple of interesting compelling stories that you guys have got in the can that maybe haven't been told yet i mean obviously the rufo one was great but are there any other guys that you've been following that you'd like to give kind of a teaser about yeah i mean there's i mean there's so many amazing stories in big wave surfing i mean if you go and check out um maverickmoments.tv you can see about that that television series and just in the opening alone i mean it really talks about you know, how we follow from the blue collar worker all the way to the superstar, you know, and in, in uh, Maverick Moments in season one, you know, we start with Garrett McNamara and those crew of guys in Nazare, you know, on that December swell that was freaking huge. And, you know, Garrett saves people and it's yeah. like basically, I mean, superhero status. And then we go from Nazare to, you know, to the, the coast of, of, of Oregon. And Eric Akaskalian and the the blue collar surfers of Nell Scott Reef, and you know the you know Eric works as a car salesman, and it does you know, he and really? Keith, Keith is a construction worker, and you know, and then they, he drives four hours from Washington, and, they, and then they ride you know those waves pretty much, you know, without without the spotlight and, and everything, you know, and and from that story all the way to the story of uh, you know like Will Scudin and uh, and Trevor Sven Carlson, who you know were on the outside looking in of the WSL. Um, and and wanted to be you know on the tour, but it's such a difficult process to get on tour. Um, and and then they did the video concepts and everything like that. And 
and their stories of, of showing up as alternates. I mean, you'll see them in the episodes and they, you know, Trevor, Sven and Will will go to like all these stops and not, not make it in, but keep trying. And, mm-hmm. and then Trevor ends up, you know, getting uh, entered into the performance of the year. Uh, last year at the XXL, even though he didn't get into an event, mm-hmm. um, but he surfed really well and surfed all over. And then Will did so well that they they both got invites to the stops this year. And now you know Will is on a path, and and Trevor to for performance of the year again. I mean, Will's got some of the best waves, you know, this season by far. You know what I mean around yeah. the world. So uh, it's great to see those kind of. Those those you know stories of the, yeah. of the the you know David versus Goliath and making it on those totally. are those are awesome all the way to you know Tazzy's story you know like a, a solid top ten competitor um, who's you know just an awesome eclectic human being uh, that rips you know and yeah. could pull off competition and you know is right there uh, you know going for the championship to uh, uh, the you know to uh, gosh I, I could just go on and on there's Coco Nogales down in Mexico yep. and. And those guys, um, you know, there's just amazing stories and, you know, just the, the, the challenges of, you know, from the, the, the family guy with the, you know, with the newborn baby having to travel and sponsored to, you know, the guy going through a divorce working as a car salesman. Um, and then also, the, you know, the women and their story of, of tackling these waves now. And it's, you know, it's all just amazing. The, the stories are so much more amazing than the wave rides. I agree. That it's, you know, it's really a pleasure and an honor to tell those stories. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Glad to have your guys' weight behind it because I've always been curious about a lot of those. uh, That storyline of the working class hero or the blue collar guy is the most interesting story to me. I love hearing it. It never gets old. And I follow, you know, surfboard shapers on Instagram and they'll post a photo of a board they built for a client, you know, like a 10-6 gun with random Joe Schmo holding it. Like, hey, he came to pick up his board today. I'm like, who are these random dudes buying 10-6 guns and where are they riding them and when? And like, and the expense involved alone, like those boards aren't cheap. And then traveling to be at that place when the swell hits, like it's a commitment for oh, so for, little reward. Oh, for sure. And I mean, no little reward. I mean, another, a, a great story in one of the episodes is Jeff Denholm. I don't um, even know the name. Jeff Denholm, um, he worked, okay, he, he grew up in, in uh, the East Coast, was going to college, uh, really got into Hemingway, uh, looked around and wasn't, you know, surrounded by men, went off, became a, a commercial fisherman and was way out in the Bering Sea, and you'll have to watch the whole thing to hear, but basically fell into the gearbox, had his arm ripped off. No. Uh, 17 hours uh, evacuation to get him to Seattle uh, for surgery to save his life. Uh, goes back to the East Coast and begins developing prosthetics to help him do all the sports that he, that he used to do. Creates an arm with a flipper and uh, paddles Mavs. What? And, um, and, you know, and, and, you know, like he says, like, for him, it's not even about if he catches a wave or not, just being out there. You know, it's amazing. So his story is another incredible story that mm-hmm. you'll learn about in Maverick Moments. That's insane. Where does he live? He lives in uh, Santa Cruz. 
Okay. Yep. What a story. Yeah, he travels with Cole Christensen and those all those guys and paddles all over the world. That's insane. Yeah, skis, wow. big mountains, everything. You mentioned these 50 hours that you guys are um, contracted to create for the next year. What do you have in terms of um, feature film projects? You said the the Mavericks moment thing is going to become – or the all the top waves that were written throughout the world is going to be a full-length thing. Do you have any other um, full-length projects? Or are you devoting all the time towards television? Um, well, we have a lot going on. I mean, we've got um, the television shows. We've got the event, uh, Red Chargers. We've got a clothing line that's going to drop uh, based around Maverick Moments and the really? whole big wave stuff. Yeah, wow. I'd be looking forward to that when that hits. Um We've got our TV, and we um, are now also, you know, we we have goals to create narrative work, you know. So we want to move into narrative television, narrative film. We have scripts written. Uh, we have representation. And so we're hoping to, to really diversify in the future. You know, we want to keep our, you know, core awesome adventure reality shows. Mm-hmm. But we also want to move into different genres you know we're we're always looking for you know the next bigger sicker wave well that that's another area that's really been poorly represented is narrative and hollywood related to surfing like every time every (laughs) time they do it it's so poorly done well we'll see i didn't exactly say we're gonna do narrative okay sports okay okay (laughs) But, but it's almost a death sentence um but you know i'm not saying it would be out of the realm of possibility uh, but right now our narratives are much more uh, based in the in the mainstream sure. genres. Okay. Um, back to the learning to breathe. Um, what's Rufo's response been since the film's been released? Um, you know, I I'm sure I you know we we haven't really talked that much. Um, you know, he's kind of gone his way. I've gone my way. We spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was you know I think. You know, we both needed our, our time apart, you know, so I, I I would have to, I don't know. I know Anthony's probably gone through de- several different emotions about it. I can imagine him yeah. varying all the way from hating it to loving it to hating it. So um, I can't presume to speak for him. So, What's your relationship like with surfing at this point? Obviously, you're busy. You said start at 7 a.m. every day, seven days a week. Do you get to surf much anymore? Um, no. No, I don't. Bummer. <laughs> I don't even. I got a. I got a car skateboard, and that's about as far as things go. Bummer, dude. Um, sometimes there's a little like ankle high in the bathtub, <laughs> um, but no, I'm pretty much cooking out nowadays. Bummer. What about snowboarding? Um, no, I don't even. I, it's to be honest. Uh, this has been a like if you really want to make it at something. You know, you've got to put your blinders on and you got to put your head down and you've got to commit yourself. You know, anybody that's, you know, a, a world-class athlete, anyone that's a, a world-class entertainer, anybody that's, you know, really good at something that they do is how to put their head down and, you know, and, and forget other things that they might enjoy to do in order to accomplish and get themselves to the level they want to be. Um, we are slowly getting to where we, you know we're hoping to be and then hopefully I will have some time to surf and snowboard. Yeah, well do you envision that in the future? Like where do you see yourself? You um, know, I mean do you want to I'd love to get towed in at 50. Yeah. To somewhere big. Yeah. You know, it's kind of my little secret goal. Sweet. <laughs> um what's 
the main what's the surf world's response been now that you've actually you know um got a resume behind you has surfer magazine reached out to interview about these projects that you're doing or anything like that um you know we you know there was a ton of publications that did pieces on us uh when the when the film initially came out learning to breathe i mean we had over 200 publications from the new york times to the london guardian to hbo real sports i mean we had a ton of coverage around the world and interviews since then we've like i said we've honestly been so busy that you know really marketing or or looking at pr and stuff hasn't really been on our radar we're probably now getting to the point that you know we'll start putting out feelers and you know getting our work seen you know honestly we've been working so hard that probably a lot of people are wondering where all our shows are going to be you know it's been two years of you know filming and not really putting anything out so we're excited for you know people to see the shows Uh, that'll be coming this year you'll be able to see them all this year good yeah I'm super excited Garrett McNamara is a character that I'm super excited to see more about oh yeah he's got to be one of the most entertaining characters for sure is he? oh yeah for sure he's an an amazing character I mean just he and his whole family Nicole and Baby Barrel I mean it's uh, you know they're they're amazing characters for sure he seems like a character and he does like most of what I see is self-promoted like He's putting it out there and it looks compelling, but I haven't really seen a lot in the surf world. Like they don't really give him a lot of attention or they don't really dig in too deep with him. Um, I haven't seen a lot of interviews or anything like that. So I'm oh, really, be I'm really curious. Oh no, it's, it's, um, oh, he's by far one of the best characters. Is like, he? Oh yeah. It's like, you're going to, oh, you'll, you'll just love like going through the whole thing with Garrett yeah. and his family and stuff. It's, it's an awesome journey. Yeah. And sure. he seems to be really into like board design. I've seen him riding some interesting uh, things and that Mercedes Benz thing that you were talking about. Yeah, no, he's um, a super interesting human being. You know, yeah. it's a lot more than the, the, the facade that you see right. presented. You know what I mean? He's a super interesting person. For cool. Sure. Cool. Is there anything else that you want to promote or say or? All right. No, you know, I just wanted to thank you for your time coming up and, uh, and interviewing me today. And, you know, I just want to say that the Gobi project is not, you know, Rocky Romano. It's a it's a huge team of people that make all this stuff happen. And, you know, there's people that put their their lives on the line hanging off, you know, cords in the fjords, getting the shots, the jet skis and, you know, huge oceans. And without all the filmers and producers and, you know, thinkers and grunts here at the Gobi project, you know, none of this would be possible. So... Um, I definitely urge everyone to check out the Gobi Project and our entire team. And um, I want to thank all those people and all the athletes that are, you know, part of all our shows. Um, without everyone being part of it, we wouldn't be doing any of this. So awesome. we definitely appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, for brother. taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. For sure, bro. Anytime. TheGoBigProject.com is where you can follow all of Rocky's upcoming work and past work. And then SurfSplendorPodcast.com is our website. We have a page dedicated to this episode as well as a comment section if you'd like to share any of your thoughts about this episode or any other episode. You can find it there. Everything's archived for free. SurfSplendorPodcast.com Additionally, I have a note out to Anthony Rufo to get his comments and thoughts about um, the film and 
just to check in with him to see how he's doing since the film. And uh, so I will keep you updated on that in future episodes. And follow us on social media at Surf Splendor and tell your friends, share this episode with friends. That is how we get this show to grow. We produce the content, but we rely on you to market and distribute the content for us. Thank you for that. You can rate and review the show on iTunes. That also helps other strangers to find it when they're searching for surf-related podcasts on the internet. Appreciate you, Rocky, for participating in this interview and um, producing such quality work. We as the surfing community definitely appreciate all your hard work. Thank you for that. Until next week, this is David Scales encouraging you Get out in the ocean, catch a couple waves, and shred on.